I had a startling discovery when I got here this morning, and that is that I left my preaching Bible. I've got a bunch of different Bibles. I left my preaching Bible apparently at the house. Now, that's not supposed to happen because it's supposed to be in the back seat. And yesterday, I thought after I preached here for church that I put it in the back seat. But apparently, when I got to the house, I carried it into the house, telling you it is tough to be old. The good news is that you don't have to have my preaching Bible in order to know God's Word. And actually, I don't either, because God's Word is readily available to all of us. And I ask you to please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we are at verse 44, and we're going to read only through verse 46. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. This is God's Word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field, that a man found and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Jesus in this chapter, is telling a series of stories. They're special stories. They're called parables. We've talked before about the fact that there is one main point to each parable. Don't try, as some have, to draw out all the different facets and kind of assign meanings to this and to this and to this and to this. The main point of a parable is what you want to grab hold of. Now, In these few verses, Jesus tells two of them. They both have the same main point. But the coupling of these two stories, these two parables, makes that point even more powerfully. And I want us to look at them together. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's preaching about the kingdom, and as we've said before, the kingdom is not about geography, it's about relationship. Who is the king in the kingdom of God? Who is the king in the kingdom of heaven? It's God, not us. But Jesus said in John chapter 3 that you can't even see the kingdom, much less enter into the kingdom unless you are born again of the Spirit. Unless God does a work of grace in your life, giving you new life in Christ, you don't even know what it's all about. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, the natural mind is incapable of grasping the things of the Spirit. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't know what you're talking about. I tried reading the Bible, it's just a bunch of nonsense to me. But when you know the author, suddenly you realize... He is speaking love to me. So, in these two stories, Jesus is talking about the kingdom, as usual. But he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure 
buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. So, who is this guy? This guy is a poor man who is out working in another man's field. Not his field. He doesn't own this. He's working in someone else's field, and it is not easy labor. But as he's going along in this area, there are a lot of rocks in the ground. Okay? And as he's going along and he, he hits a rock, he has to get it and take it over to the side. You've seen fields where there's kind of like a stone wall along the side made up of stones that came out of the field when they were plowing the ground. He hits another object, only this time it's not a rock. He goes to pull back the dirt and get whatever it is, and lo and behold, it is treasure. Treasure. He looks at it, he sees the richness of it, and wow, he's never seen so much wealth in all his life. He reburies it, hides it. And thinks, I'm going to buy this field. <laughs> okay? But in order to buy the field, this is not a wealthy man. This guy is going to have to sell everything he's got in order to come up with the money to buy that field. So he does. Can you imagine the conversation at home when he comes to his wife and he says, Honey, we're selling everything. What are you talking about? I mean everything. Well, you can't, you can't sell this. That, I've got that from my parents. No, we're selling it too. We are selling everything we've got. Why? Um, I can't tell you all the details, but just trust me, honey. This is going to be worth it. Okay? I, I've, I've got a chance to get something that is going to make us wealthy. You see, the price he's going to pay is the price for some rocky land. The treasure just comes along with it. Now you might say, oh, I don't think that's very ethical. Shouldn't he go to the man who owns the field and say, hey, uh, I found this in your field. I guess it's yours. That's not the point of the parable. The man who owned the field may not be the guy who buried the treasure in the field. Treasure may have been buried hundreds of years before by somebody else. Who knows? That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is this poor man, in the midst of his work, stumbled onto a treasure that is so valuable that he's willing to give up everything else he has in order to get that field, in order to get that treasure. He wasn't doing this as a real estate investment. The treasure was worth far more than the field. The treasure was worth more than the field and everything the man had. He found something. What was he doing when he found it? Let's see, I believe Jesus answers that uh, he, was, uh, he was working in the guy's field, right? And lo and behold... In the midst of his ordinary day, he found buried treasure. There's no indication here that he was out looking for treasure. 
but he found it. And when he found it, he reburies it, and he goes and sells everything he has. And he buys that field. How did he feel about it? Well, I guess I'm going to have to sell everything. No, in his joy, he went. He was... He had found something so wonderful that the idea of selling everything is just, I want to get that done as quickly as possible, okay? In his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought the field. But then Jesus tells a second story. In the second story, you've got a man who is looking for treasure, okay? The second man... Is like a merchant, a businessman. And he is in search of fine pearls. Well, in that case, he's not looking for the cheap goods. If he's looking for fine pearls, he's a man who has some means. He has some wealth already. So he's out looking for that which is really valuable. But in the midst of his search... He finds a pearl that's priceless. It is so valuable that all the other stuff he has can't compare. I mean, there's there's no comparison at all. And so he does essentially the same thing as the poor man. He went and sold everything he had and bought that one pearl. How valuable was it? Priceless. <laughs> it was priceless. It was so valuable that all the other stuff he'd collected over the years, all those other valuable things that he had, he had other fine pearls, but not like this one. Nothing compares to that. Jesus says that's what it's like with the kingdom. I want you to consider for just a moment that one guy was rich and one guy was poor, but also that one guy was looking for treasure and the other one really wasn't. And that's the way it is with the kingdom. There are people who are looking for truth. They're wanting to find out what it's about. Who is God? Why am I here? Our friend Peter Ha, who was here a few summers ago teaching in our school, Peter was in grad school in his native country in Asia, and he suddenly thought, what am I doing this for? Why am I pursuing more degrees? I don't even know why I'm here. What is life about? Is there a God? His government said no. There is no God. But he thought, what if there is? Could there be a larger purpose? Am I just a highly evolved piece of slime? Or is there more to life? So he dropped out of school and began searching. 
And somebody gave him a Bible. And he began reading in Genesis. And as he read, he said, this could not have been written by just a man. He was right. This book answered where we come from, why we're here, who God is and who we are. Then he started reading the Gospel of John. When he learned about Jesus, he said, I'm giving my life to him. And ever since, he's been following Jesus at great personal cost. Some people are searching. Some people just stumble onto it. They're just out doing their thing. They're not thinking about the great questions of life. They're just doing their thing, and they stumble across it. I was speaking at a conference in suburbs of Raleigh, North Carolina, a number of years ago, and I was talking about how to share our faith and how to provide a credible witness for people. And I said, now there are all kinds of approaches that people use. I said, the most pathetic I ever heard was a guy who I know, he's a friend of mine, and he actually suggested that one thing you can do is go into a public restroom, take a gospel tract, and roll it into the roll of bathroom tissue, okay, so that some future user of the facilities, when they go to get a piece of bathroom tissue, a tract will fall out because they just might read it and get saved. I said, that's pitiful. Okay? I mean, that's just terrible. And this guy in the room (laughs) turns to his friend and he says, you need to tell him how you got saved. And I said, oh, say it isn't so. And he says, no. He said, I... I was in a public restroom. He said, everybody here knows how I got saved. I was in a public restroom years ago, and and I went to get a piece of tissue, and a tract fell out of the roll. And I picked it up, and I read it, and I got saved. I, I still do not recommend that as a means of witnessing for Christ. Because my personality, if I found something like that, in a roll of bathroom tissue, I would think that whoever put it there was nuts. And I would not read it. As a matter of fact, I would let it stay on the floor and not touch it. Okay? That's just my personality. But that guy got saved. He just stumbled onto it. He wasn't searching. It wasn't like, you know, I'd been praying for weeks, God, if there is a God, show me how I can know you. No, no, nothing like that. He just went in there to use the restroom. And God reached out and got hold of his heart. Saved him. So Jesus tells the story of a searcher and of a stumbler. A guy who was looking for that which was of great value. A guy who was just doing his job. Plowing another man's field. And he stumbles onto the treasure. It doesn't matter how you find 
the gospel. What matters is how you respond to the gospel. Do you recognize what this means? Do you realize who Jesus is? If by God's grace you recognize who Jesus is, changes everything. There's nothing that compares. There is nothing that compares. Jesus said, in order to be his disciple, you've got to hate father and mother and even your own life. What is he talking about? You're supposed to want to do them harm? No. He's talking about the fact that by comparison, nothing matters. All that matters is doing the will of God. Well, what will my parents think? I actually know a guy. Right now, I'm still praying for him to get saved. He has concluded that Jesus is the Messiah. A Jewish man who has concluded that Jesus is the Messiah. He said, I, I really believe it's true. But he said, but I have not given my life to him because I would be completely rejected by my family. All my friends. I'd be totally isolated. If Jesus Christ is the Messiah, if he is the Christ, if he is Lord, the best thing you can do for your family is to follow Jesus. The best thing you can do for your friends, if you care about them, is to follow Jesus. But there are a lot of people who don't really want to know if it's true. When they stumble across it, they just go on. Because the whole thought of how their life would change is just scary to them. So instead of saying, I want this, they want to go on. Leave it in the field. Not my field anyway. There are people who are searching, but they're not searching wholeheartedly because when they find that pearl of great price, they say, well, but I've got all these other pearls that are really, really nice. I mean, they're not like this one, but... I'm not willing to give up everything. I'm not willing to give up everything. The Apostle Paul describes all the stuff that he had going for him. And he says, I consider all of that as dung compared to knowing Jesus. You don't speak Old English, so you may not know what dung is. But some of you, I think, were at the barn moving some around this morning. Okay? It's poop. The Apostle Paul says, I consider everything that was to my advantage in life, my genealogy, my education, my religious ties, my accomplishments, all of that is just poop compared to Jesus. Jesus said, whoever tries to save his life 
will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You've got to give up everything. The Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Nothing compares. Nothing compares. In the movie, A Man for All Seasons, one of the powerful scenes is when a young priest lies on trial in order to bear false witness against Thomas More. Now, Thomas More isn't one of my heroes, but I do appreciate somebody who, even when they're mistaken, holds on to their convictions. Moore was on trial. This guy, this young priest, lied about Thomas More in order to gain the role of bishop, which was being handed out by the king to those who'd participate in this persecution of Thomas More. More looks at the medallion that the young man is wearing. It's a medallion that shows that he has been made the Bishop of Wales, which is a small country with much beauty and much history, some tremendous preaching and a history of revival and other things that I could talk about another time. But it's a little country, part of the British Empire. Moore looks at him and he looks at the medallion And he said, our Lord said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But for Wales? Would you lie in order to gain a position? Well, it would have to be a really good position. Well, then you're already dead. What would it take I believe it was just last week I told you about the man at the party who propositioned someone for a very high dollar amount. What would it take for you to sell out? Good-looking boyfriend or girlfriend? A lot of money? A job, job security. My friend Max came to me years ago and he said, Pastor, I'm in a bind. My boss is asking me to sign invoices that we delivered more product to these jobs than we did. He's keeping the extra to sell to other people. And I told him, I can't do it. And he said, why not? And I said, because it's not true. And my boss said, you sign those invoices or you're fired. 
I said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I know that I can't lie. So what can I do? I said, you're right. You don't want to work there anymore. He said, well, what am I going to do for a living? I said, that is God's problem. He will take care of you. And he did. Max started his own company and made a good living. But what if you don't get to start your own company? What if you don't make a good living? What if, what if doing what God says costs you everything financially? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. There isn't anything that compares to being a part of the kingdom of God with him as your king, knowing Jesus as Lord, doing what he says because you love him, knowing that he first loved you. We said the one man was a poor man out plowing another man's field. He sold everything he had in order to buy that field. But how much do you suppose he had? You think he went home and he said, well, honey, you know, we're going to have to empty the, the safe. We've got No, this was a poor man. He didn't have a lot. What about the merchant who was looking for pearls? He had wealth. No matter how little you have or how much you have, no matter whether you're poor or rich, it'll cost you everything. It'll cost you everything. Jesus tells this story in terms of when you discover the kingdom, if you want to be a part of it, it'll cost you everything. Well, hold on here. Hold on, hold on. I thought Jesus paid it all. He did. He laid down everything for us. He emptied himself and was obedient even to the point of death on the cross. He paid for our salvation. Well, then what are you talking about that we've got to lay everything down? I'm talking about what we've already quoted. Jesus said, you've got to die to self. You've got to surrender everything to him. Well, that sounds like work salvation, that we're saved by works. No, it's called you cannot receive what he has if you're busy doing this. If you're trying to hold on, I've got to preserve what I've got here. I can't give up my sin. I can't give up my relationships. I can't give up my stuff. Then you're not in a position to receive. You're not saved because of what you do. You're saved by him. But folks, you can't have it both ways. Yesterday in church, I used the illustration of being born because Jesus talks about being born again. A child cannot continue to live Partly in the womb, partly out of the womb. Okay? 
I'm just not willing to completely give up the darkness. Can't have it both ways. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate this one and love this one, or he's going to hate this one and love this one. You can't have it both ways. How many people can serve two masters? None. Don't think you're the exception. No one can serve two masters. Jesus said that. So if you're going to enter into the kingdom, you've got to leave the old kingdom. And that's the description that Paul gives us in his epistle when he says he transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his dear son. We were dead in trespasses and sins. God made us alive in Christ Jesus. Well, could you just make me alive from here up? Okay. No, that's not the way it works. God is calling each of you to surrender fully to him, to know his grace. We don't earn it, but folks, when you really discover it, you're like the guy who found that treasure in the field. In his joy, he went and sold everything he had. Because when you realize the value of this, you realize you haven't got anything that compares to that. The guy who found the pearl of great price was like, well, okay, I guess i got to divest myself. No. It's like, oh, I've never seen anything like this. Folks aren't going to believe how wonderful this is. Have you discovered Jesus? Have you realized what he did for you? You were headed for hell, just like I was. And he died on the cross, bearing the wrath that we deserve, in order that we might not just be forgiven, but transformed and made like him. So that we're going to be with him forever in paradise. We adopted three kids from Ukraine years ago, 20 years ago this year. And um, they did not have uh, a background of strong, clear teaching of the scriptures, that kind of thing. So when we took them to church and they heard about the idea of going someday when we die to be with God, in heaven, their first concept of that, they were literally just learning English. And the first concept that they got of what that would be like is that they were going to have to go and spend forever sitting still in a building with pews. Heaven was not terrifically appealing to them. You understand? It wasn't like, oh boy, I'd like to do this forever. Huh. But that was their first idea, is that heaven must be like a great big church service where everybody sits still and some guy stands up front and talks, and talks, and talks, and talks. And they weren't real excited about that. 
When we found out that's what they were thinking, we were happy to disabuse them of that mistake. If you're not looking forward to heaven, you just haven't got a clue what heaven's going to be. If you don't want to be with Jesus, you haven't found the treasure yet. When you realize who he is, the creator of the universe, the God who has all power, not just a lot of power, not just more than we have, he has all power, all authority. He owns everything. He spoke the universe into being. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Why in the world would you waste your life chasing some thing down here? Or some things down here? This is all temporary. This is all going away. If you think, well, I just want to marry the most beautiful girl in the world. Take a look at who used to be the most beautiful girl in the world. Whoever you think it was, okay? You know what they all end up looking like? If they live long enough? They look like old ladies. Face it, guys. That's what happens. And ladies, you think you want to marry some hunk some guy who's really, really something. He's got abs that just don't quit. Okay? You just think, take a look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. Have you seen Arnold lately? Now, for an old man, he's not all that bad. But if you see a picture of Arnold at the beach... There aren't as many as there were a few years ago because I think Arnold learned not to go. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. Our bodies don't hold up. Well, I just want, you know, if I could have just 10 years with somebody who looks magnificent. 10 years? You're going to spend forever in hell. You can marry somebody good-looking and still go to heaven. You can't do anything and go to heaven Unless you come to the point of saying, okay, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Why? Because if you're doing this, you can't do this. I can't see your heart. But God does. And I want you to know him. Because if you know him, you're not going to be moping around saying, well, I, I used, to, used to feel pretty good about life, but then I became a Christian. Now I'm just trying to be good. Because I've got to be good if I want to go to heaven. You still haven't found the kingdom. When you find him, you realize, boy, I was no good at being good. But he saved me. And now, I am so grateful and so excited about what's coming that I just want to do everything I can in order to please him. 
Not in order to try and earn heaven, because I know I could never do that. But I want to please him, because I love him. And I love him, because he first loved me. Father, thank you so much that you did love us when we didn't love you. Thank you for sending Jesus to save us. Help us, we pray, to love and trust you completely. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.